Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. I am so glad you're here. We're continuing a series called Respond True. This morning's message is religion or relationship. What do you think's better? Relationship. relationship. That's right. You may be dismissed. You got it right. Yeah. Hey, last week I shared with you that I'm going to talk a little bit about, share with you about aliens. Okay. A week and a half ago, they had the um, UFO hearings before Congress. Some of you watched some, some of that, and you've seen different clips and stuff, so I'm going to speak to that, but not till the end. That's the cliffhanger, okay? So don't go anywhere. You'll want to hear what, uh, what I have to say about that. Religion or relationship. Last Sunday... We, we looked at a passage in, uh, we just finished up Matthew chapter 11, and where Jesus rebukes a number of cities on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum and Bethsaida were uh, a few, and these were cities that, that Jesus' headquarters, as it were, were located, and most of the people on those coastal villages on the Sea of Galilee unfortunately refused to believe in Jesus. And, um, and Jesus said, you're going to be judged more harshly, not because of their unbelief, but because of their blatant rejection. And that's where he did most of his miracles in that particular region. And then after that, Jesus kind of transitioned and spoke about burdens and people who were heavy laden and how he had rest to give, that he could lift those burdens. And I was thinking about that. What does it mean to be weary? I wonder how many of you know what it means to be weary. Uh, weary means to be tired. It means to be worn out. It's, it's a physical tiredness. It's used in some translations of the Bible as the tiredness that comes from a battle. You've been in battle. Life. Uh, comes and life's journey brings about battles. Literally, uh, it means to you're ready to just drop from fatigue. It's a heavy laden. It's a it's a burden from a heavy load that you've been carrying. And and I really believe our travels, I call it life's journey, becomes wearier the more burden you carry. So in time, the more you carry on your shoulders the burdens, the difficulties, the challenges, the more that you carry that, uh, the more wearisome you become. And Jesus speaks to that. And he quickly tells his followers and those who are present listening to his messages that he gives rest. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 11. I'm just giving you some background in case you missed last week. And... and Jesus offers to us a time to regenerate, to rejuvenate, to catch our breath, to renew our strength. And not only does He give us rest, He takes that heavy burden. He takes our heavy loads. He takes those and He carries them Himself. He lifts them from us and He carries them Himself. And He gives us rest like no other. You know, the world is seeking a lot of different avenues to, to get peace, to get rest, to get satisfaction. And Jesus fills those voids. He's the only one that significantly fills those, meaningfully 
fills those. And so uh, we transition now to chapter 12. I'd like you to open your Bibles or your smart device or the church app. My notes are there. To Matthew chapter 12, religion or relationship is the message. And we see a story. Jesus just finished uh, rebuking the cities that rejected him. And then he transitions to talking about how the fact that he can carry our burdens, we just need to give it to him. But now he's walking with his disciples through a grain field. He's going off to do more ministry, and he chooses a route through a field that has grain. And his disciples pick grain. As they're walking through the field, they're picking grain. I want you to keep, it, and keep in mind, not only do they pick the grain, but they eat the grain. Also, probably more importantly, they're doing it on a certain day known as the Sabbath. And so in Jesus' culture, during his time, these biblical time, the Sabbath was from Friday sundown through Saturday. Those who were Sabbath keepers, even today, groups like the Seventh-day Adventists, of course, uh, Jewish groups still uh, apply the Sabbath and take it very seriously. And this was, in fact, what was happening during Jesus' day. The disciples walking through this field pick grain and they eat it, and it's on the Sabbath, so keep that in mind. So we start in verse 1, Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, check out what happens. Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, now the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're the rabbis. They're the priests, the pastors of the day. And typically, I think the Pharisees normally get a negative bad rap in Bible studies and in pastors' messages because a lot of times they're doing things that are just so religious and so um, not connected with what God intended as far as having a relationship with Him. They're steeped in tradition, they're steeped in religion. But I, want, I, I think to be fair, understand that the religious leaders of the day, they earnestly and honestly, I think they sought the Lord. For the most part, generally speaking, they were individuals who wanted to live their life in obedience to God. But they were so wrapped up in that, that word obedience that they missed the relationship aspect. And so... The Pharisees saw Jesus walking through the grain field with his disciples. They were picking grain and eating on the Sabbath. And they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of presence? That's the show bread, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. That's Jesus' response to those who were critiquing, criticizing, and saying, hey, what, you, what the disciples are doing is unlawful to pick a grain on the Sabbath and to eat grain. You're working. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath is the rule. In verse 5, Or have you not read in the law... How on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And he's talking about himself. The Messiah, God in flesh, is standing before them. 
something greater than the temple. Jesus is the Word. In fact, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, refers to the Son of God as the Word. The Word of God. And, and He's standing before them. And, and then in verse 7, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son, and this is enormous, verse 8, for the Son of Man, capital S, capital M, signifying deity, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. For them to hear that, Jesus is declaring Himself to be Messiah. He's declaring Himself to be God. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, Understand that these religious leaders, from the time of their childhood, they were raised to be obedient to God through the law. Obedience was a big thing. But they missed the total meaning of God's intentions about the law. They, they just missed it. They were so wrapped up in tradition, so wrapped up in rules, so wrapped up in regulation, that they missed the real essential context of what God was trying to convey to them. And here's an interesting kind of side note that I found fascinating. Maybe you were aware of it, but in, in, in Jesus' time in the Jewish tradition, if a traveler was traveling into their, an area, a city, a village, and they were weary and they were hungry, it was okay for them to go into a field uh, or a vineyard and pick a few things to eat to meet their immediate need. That was acceptable. That was okay. So you had kind of this cultural dynamic of, of being kind to those who were, who were traveling going on uh, into the area. And so, but we have a problem here. It's not so much what the disciples did. They picked grain and they ate. It's not so much what they did. It's really more about when they did it. It's not what they did, it's, it's when they did it. They did it on the Sabbath. They broke the law in, in the priest's eyes. They broke the law. And so this morning, I'm calling them truth statements. Respond true is the series. Truth statement number one, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He made that declaration. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's declaring himself Lord of the Sabbath, and he's actually affirming, which is phenomenal, that he's equal with God. And God established the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 1. I like what Warren Worsby, we use a lot of his commentaries in our Bible studies. He says the Sabbath, Worsby says this, the Sabbath was... Uh, the Sabbath law was given to Israel as a mark of their relationship of God. So it was given as a mark of their relationship with God. But it was also an act of mercy for both man and beast. And you might be thinking, well, what do you mean it was an act of mercy? It was so that man and both beasts could take a break, have a time of rest. And just a side note of application, kind of some practical advice. I know... Um, Sometimes the tendency to work seven days a week to get ahead and I, I'm just going to 
do this and plow through it. And now we've got the dynamic of a lot of you work from home. And, and so the dynamic of work and, and, and the context of where you work has changed now and it's opened up to, to home. And it's really difficult to turn work off when it's at home and to transition from taking a break and, and home life to work life because work is right there at home. And so there's a struggle with that. There's a challenge with that. And yet, let me just say to you, take a day off at least once a week where you uh, are not working. And it's good for your soul, it's good for your emotions, it's good for you physically. And, and God set that up at the beginning for our health, for our relationship with the Lord. So we have Jesus declaring that He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And in so, just keep in mind, the religious leaders of the day had the Son of God standing right before them. And at many junctures, he made these statements. I call them the I am statements. They're known as the I am statements, where he's saying that he is the Messiah. And yet they just miss it. They just miss it. I want to talk to you about this, the presence or the showbread. And we see that in verses 3 through 4. So you get an understanding of what's going on here. Jesus uses some interesting illustrations, two specific illustrations, and making a point with those who are criticizing him. In verse 3 and 4, Matthew 12, he said to them, Have you not read what David, talking about King David, did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of presence, the showbread, which, is, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priest. Now this showbread in the Old Testament was, it symbolized the presence of God. The showbread did. And by the way, God is the bread of life. Jesus is known as the bread of life. And so you have all these foreshadows in the Old Testament that, that show and demonstrate who Jesus is. It's remarkable. The showbread was 12 loaves of bread. Fascinating. 12 loaves, 12 tribes of Israel. And, and they were brought into the house of God or eventually the temple of God as a symbolic offering to God. Now, this is what it meant. The loaves were to be taken into the holy place by the priest and they were placed on a table before the Lord. And the loaf, loaves symbolized God's everlasting covenant with us, a provision that we would never go without sustenance of food. This was something that was done as an offering before the Lord, confirming a covenant that God meets our needs, that, that He'd always see fit that His people had whatever food was necessary to sustain them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing that the people would do that through the showbread? So it was a demonstration that, that God meets our needs. Don't we need reminders of that periodically, that God meets our needs? He meets our needs. Doesn't necessarily fulfill all of our wants. Thank God for that, right? 
but he meets our needs, and certainly he meets our needs of sustenance, things that are necessary for us to live. You know, oxygen and, and food and water. And so they did that. They brought the 12 loaves, and the priest would bring them in, set them on the table of the Lord, representing God's everlasting covenant that he's Jehovah, God, Jehovah Jireh, God provider, God provides. And now we see that Jesus makes this statement, uh, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath in verse 8. And, and he's proclaiming that he's Messiah. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of religion. Religion's not a bad word. It doesn't necessarily have to have a negative connotation. And, and Jesus is the Lord of religion. But it's Jesus that determines what true religion is. And here's what true religion is. This is true religion. Loving God and believing on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's true religion. You can have a religion that you're attached to that doesn't uh, portray who Christ is accurately or even that uh, for one to be saved, that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And that's just empty religion. So true religion is that, number one, loving God and believing on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. But the second part of that, listen to this, is loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's true religion. Ministering to them and caring for them. And that's where Jesus uses this illustration about David and the sh eating the showbread. David was starved, his worries were starved, and they ate the showbread that was in God's house. And Technically, they weren't supposed to do that. But they were famished and David was fighting for the Lord. Was he wrong? Was he right? Well, there's an aspect of wrong as far as tradition goes. But he was right in the fact that God didn't, he didn't get punished for that. It met a need. And so this is where we see that loving our neighbors as ourselves and ministering to them and caring for them. The disciples and Jesus had been doing ministry and ministry is not always easy. It's taxing. It, it, it's taxing both emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And, and Jesus and his disciples were doing ministry and they were hungry. And maybe the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they didn't recognize that po there's a possibility they hadn't eaten. They'd been so busy doing work that they hadn't eaten. They hadn't taken a break. But they were so disciplined the religious leaders, that is, about the Sabbath and the criteria. Even to this day, if you go to Israel, on, uh, as Friday night approaches, everybody's scurrying around, the rabbis, the Jews that follow the teachings of the Torah. They're preparing for the Sabbath. And they're preparing all their meals and different things and making sure they have all the supplies they need to get them through from Friday sundown to Saturday, the full day, till sun up. And so they're scurrying around. If you go down into the interior of Los Angeles, you'll see on a leading up to a Friday evening, if you ever get down in that neck of the woods, you'll see uh, a lot of Jewish people. You'll see rabbis. You'll see some of the Orthodox dressed up in their black and their hats and the phylacteries and the curls and whatnot. And you'll see them scurrying around preparing for the Sabbath. And so not only in Jesus' day, but those Sabbath keepers of today do the same. They do the same. And um, 
Jesus seems like he's breaking all the world rules, that he's rebellious, that his disciples are rebellious. They're working by picking the grain. They're eating the grain that they picked. And they're doing it all on the Sabbath. But now we see a transition in the text, all for the purpose of not changing the topic, but solidifying what Jesus said in verse 8, that He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of all. We see that Jesus heals this man who has a paralyzed hand. His hand's paralyzed. And, and Jesus proved who He was by doing this healing. And that's truth statement number two this morning. Jesus can meet your needs. Can you say that? Jesus can meet your needs. In fact, personalize it. Jesus can meet my needs. Jesus most certainly can meet my needs. He meets your needs. It's amazing what the Lord does when you're walking with the Lord and you've got people praying for you and you're seeking after God, how God opens doors and He meets needs, legitimate needs in our life. And so we have testimony after testimony. The longer you live, you've got testimonies of God meeting needs. Jehovah Jireh, God provider, meeting needs. And so truth statement number two, Jesus can meet your needs. And we pick up in verse 9 of chapter 12 of Matthew. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. He went into the church. I mean, they're critiquing him. They're trying to, to just mess with Jesus and, and debunk everything that he's doing. And he goes into the church, the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, saying, it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They did that so they, could, they might accuse Him, it says. In verse 11, And He said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if, that, if it falls into a pit on, on the Sabbath, will He not take hold of it and lift it out? Who of you who has a sheep, he says, and uh, falls in a pit on the Sabbath, aren't you going to lift that sheep up? Or are you going to leave them there till, till late Saturday night, Sunday morning? And then he says, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus answers their, their question. But He does something remarkable beyond just answering their question. Look what happens in verse 13 and 14. Then He says to the man, and here's this guy sitting here. We don't know if he had a clue or not about who Jesus was. Jesus just shows up in the church service. And the Pharisees are, are bantering back and forth, uh, trying to entrap Jesus to do something to violate the Sabbath. And he explains to him, who's more valuable, a sheep that falls in a pit or somebody that really has a need? Somebody created in the image of God. So he says to the man that they were referring to, stretch out your hand. He stretched, out it, he stretched it out and it was restored to normal. Can you imagine that? Stretch out your hand. Jesus says to him, and he stretches out his hand. It was deformed, and right there it's made normal. 
like the other hand. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. Some versions say how they might kill him. Wow. Unfazed by truth. Unfazed by God in, pre in their presence. Emmanuel, God with us. Unfazed by that. Unfazed by the miracle. We don't know how long this individual had been with that malady of a deformed hand. But Jesus said, stretch your hand out. Oh, wait a minute. I got, the doctor said I shouldn't do that. Jesus said, stretch your hand out. This man stretches his hand out and he's healed. So Jesus being aware of what they were thinking about his destruction, he withdrew from there in verse 12, or excuse me, verse 15. And many followed him. Of course, he just healed this guy. He's been doing amazing miracles. At that point, at that point in Jesus' ministry, many are following him. But look what it says next. And he healed them all. He healed all of them. Well, we don't know the litany of diseases and ailments and struggles and demonic oppression, demonic possession. We just, we don't know the the, the, how bad it was and how many people there were. But we know that many followed Him because that's what Scripture says. And that Jesus healed all of them. He healed them all. That's amazing. And then He says to them, he, Jesus warns them all that He healed. In fact, He healed them all. You get that, right? He warns them not to tell anybody who he was. Yeah, right. That's like saying, hey, I've got this prayer request. It's like real touchy. And I'm not gossiping, but I want to just share it with you. So you can pray for so-and-so. And, and please don't tell anybody because it's, it's real sensitive. And boy, that spreads like wildfire, unfortunately, right? And so Jesus heals this guy. He heals everybody and tells him, hey, just keep it quiet. It's like, oh my gosh, that's hard to keep quiet. He, Jesus just healed me. I want to tell somebody. I want to give God praise. I, I, I at least want to tell my spouse. I want to tell my children. I, I mean, if I tell my neighbor, that's okay. I don't think that fits in what Jesus said, don't tell anybody. I think I can tell my wife. I think I can tell... My spouse, I think I can tell my children. But no, Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And of course, Jesus' fame spreads. He warned them not to tell who he was. How'd they know who he was? He just declared himself as Lord of the harvest. Lord of the harvest. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Matthew quotes Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I've chosen. I'm in verse 16 or 18. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to, to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. I love the wording there. Jesus leading justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Folks, let me tell you something. 
Our only hope is Jesus. Our nation's only hope is Jesus. The world's only hope is Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. And yet the enemy works through deception. He works through distraction. And, and, and unfortunately, well, let me just say it this way. Distractions are simply this. When God has you focused on plan, on in His will, on purpose, when God has you there, uh, you're there. You're walking in the Spirit. You're in the midst of God's will. And then distractions happen. Distractions take your focus off the goal of your purpose, off the goal of walking in the will of God. Does that make sense? That's what a distraction is. And the enemy's uh, amazing at providing distractions, getting our focus off. Uh, he did that with Adam and Eve in the garden. He distracted them by saying, don't you want to be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil and knowing what God knows? It's a distraction. It's a deception. A week and a half ago on a Wednesday, they had the UFO hearings. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I told you I was going to say something about it, but I have to prepare myself. I've got to prepare. Before I talk about it, I have to prepare myself. There's certain things I need to do because it's a sensitive subject. Um, please, sir, thank you. Okay, all right. I have to prepare myself because it's a delicate subject. Now, I know if I continue to wear this, you're not going to hear anything I say. So I'm going to take it off and uh, set it over here. Yeah. So about a week and a half ago, they had congressional hearings about uh, testimonies about UFOs if you can believe that. Some of you saw those hearings or portions of them. They've done video clips on just about every social media platform. And I wanna share a quote from the actual hearing. Three military veterans testified in Congress, highly anticipated hearing on UFOs. This was Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago including a former Air Force intelligence officer who claimed the U.S. government has operated a secret multi-decade, so they're declaring that this has been going on for decades, a reverse engineering program of recovered vessels. So let me just uh, unpack that. Uh, that. What they're saying is that we've acquired, our government has acquired uh, aircraft, alien aircraft, over decades, and, and um, he also said that the U.S. has recovered non-human biologics, that's the reference, biologics, from al those alleged crash sites. And so, let me unpack that. What was said is we have aliens from these crash sites. This was communicated in the hearings. And uh, retired Major David Grusch, who went from being part of the Pentagon's UAP task force to becoming a whistleblower, told the House Oversight Committee's National Security Subcommittee that he had been denied access to some government UFO programs 
but that he knows the exact location, locations, plural, of UAPs and US possessions. So what he's saying, this major, is that we have aircraft, we have biologic aliens in possession. He's aware of their location. But while the topic, and I'll just quote, little green men did, did come up, much of the discussion centered on improving processes for reporting unidentified aerial phenomena. So that's what they're now calling UFOs. They're calling them UAPs, which stands for unidentified, unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs. And that's the military's term for UFOs. And so increasingly UAP refers to anomalies or anomalous rather than aerial phenomena uh, to account for sightings in both, both the air and the water. Now, several times during the hearing a week and a half ago, uh, Grush deflected lawmakers' questions, so he didn't answer them, he deflected them, saying he could only elaborate. He didn't say he didn't have the answer to their questions, he said he could only elaborate on their questions on their questions in a skiff. Now a skiff is a sensitive, uh, um, compartmented information facility. So think about this. It's an area that you would go into a room in a facility that nobody can hear you. No information goes in, no information goes out. There's no recording. It's, it's completely safe, evidently. It's called a skiff. And the only way he could answer certain questions that they had is if he went into the skiff with them and he would answer them. So he was not saying he didn't have the answer to the questions, but he'd have to go into a skiff for protection's sake. And those instances included, the questions included uh, when he was asked uh, if the government has had any contact with aliens and whether anyone had been murdered to cover up information about extraterrestrial technology. Uh, he said he couldn't comment unless he went into a skiff. So these were just, just part, part of uh, what was going on in the hearings. Last week I told you I would share. And listen, I think it's important as a church that we address things that are going on. Uh, I think particularly at this caliber, you know, this could be uh, a big, big, big news, and a lot of people are going to spin off in different directions as far as what their philosophy or opinion is about this. May I give you mine? Okay. I think one of two things are happening. Okay. Not in necessary uh, order of what I think is happening, but I'll just, for the sake of communication this morning, I talked about distractions. This could be a, a major distraction for everybody, just to keep our eyes off of other things that are going on. It's a distraction. The enemy works in terms of distraction. And you might say, well, the government says, and I know we should trust everything the government says. <laughs> but listen, the other thing that I would say is, let's just say that they do have biologics in possession from crashed sites, and they have spacecraft or whatever you want to call it. I believe it's all in the context of, of what Scripture refers to. In fact, the book of Revelation says, 
in Revelation 12:4, it indicates a third of the angels fall from heaven with Lucifer. They get kicked out of heaven, and they're what we call demons. And, and I believe if that's the case, that's what it is. It's either a, just an enormous distraction or it's demonic activity, demons mani manifesting themselves. We see in the Old Testament the connection of, of the sons of God interbreeding with the daughters of men, and you have the Nephilim and that whole thing going on. And so you have you know, Greek mythology. Could there be a connection to those men of renown that the Bible talks about? Possibly. But listen, I really believe that if, if any of this has any truth at all to it, it's demonic. It's demonic manifestations. And the reason I believe that is this. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. And as we read Scripture and go through Scripture, we see that, that the possibility of a great revival taking place before God raptures up the church and the great tribulation kicks in. And I believe the rapture takes place first, then the seven-year tribulation and so on and so forth. But before leading, be, before leading up to the rapture, a lot of things are going to take place. For instance, we've got most of the, the uh, movie industry now uh, shut down because of strikes, because of AI and other things. And so you've got these, these robots and computers that write scripts just like that. You can write a book in an hour just by putting in the filter what you want to write and how many sites that you want and how scientific you want it. Boom, it writes it. I mean, you've got this, this uh, technology now to do all these things. They have technology now to uh, insert a chip in you that has everything. You don't, you don't have to carry your wallet any longer. And you wonder, does that connect with the mark of the beast? Nobody can buy or sell without the mark of the beast. The Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation. Could there be a connection now? So you have all these things happening that years ago, if you remember when you were young, sitting in church, hearing the preacher and the pastor talk about the end times, and you think, man, that just seems so far off. It just seems so far off. How, who in their right mind would get a mark with all their information to use it to buy and sell? And now we see that they have in accessible those kinds of things and the technology to do it. And it's not that far off anymore. So I believe all these things are part and parcel to what's happening and what Jesus is doing. And, and I say all that to say this. Don't fret. Don't worry about all that stuff. Don't let it distract you. Just focus. Stay in your lane with you and your relationship with God and grow in the Lord. And don't let all those things consume your conversations in your mind because they're distractions. Walk with the Lord. Allow God to move in your life. Impact everybody you know in a positive way and help them discover a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the privilege to look at your word and even talk about weird stuff. And, and Father, I just pray that uh, you would work in each one of our hearts and draw us closer to you in the aspect of a relationship with you, Lord. People are struggling. They're being challenged. There's just a lot of information. Information overload a lot of things going on in our families and in our neighborhoods and in the world. And 
Uh, it can be very challenging and stressful, but Lord, you give peace. You lift burdens. You bless and you guide. And I just pray right now, if there's anyone here who has not started a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, work in that capacity in their heart to bring them to a place of, yes, I need a relationship with the Lord. And so if that's you this morning, I would ask you to give your heart to Jesus. Start a relationship with the Lord. Would you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me and you rose from the grave. I now ask you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Praise God. Let's all stand to our feet. So there's going to be plenty of distractions that come our way. Just stay focused and balanced on the Lord. He'll get you through the difficult times. And we don't have to have answers for everything. The Lord knows exactly what He's doing. Amen? I want you to know that uh, as the praise team closes us with a song at the end, I'm going to have some of my leaders up here. And we would love to pray for you if you have any prayer requests, praise reports. Go this week, serve the Lord. Get into your Word every day. Just open up your Bible or your version app. Get into a devotion. Get into the Word. Spend time with the Lord. Pray. Ask God to guide you each day, and He will. God bless you.